Hey, how's it going? Welcome, welcome. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast, the Monday pod where we break down the action from the EFL weekend. And as always, there's plenty of it to discuss. This podcast is sponsored by Betfair. I'm Ali Maxwell and with me, my friend, my colleague, EFL on Quest superstar, George Ellick, or to give him his full name, I don't think you're ready for George Ellick. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. Um, I think we should make that like a constant theme of the podcast. You have to slip in my my name into song lyrics from I'm, now on. Obviously, Every I'm very up one. for that. Okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Busy weekend. The good thing about having a busy weekend is that I feel like Monday morning is so much easier because, you know, almost, although this is a strictly a working day, it's not quite as, um, as full on as a day at Quest or an evening at Sky. So yeah, I'm ready for the week ready for the weekend and buzzing to be in an away stand tomorrow watching my beloved Oxford United. Oh yes. yes, QPR away in the Carabao, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah, really enjoyed watching you back on Quest, uh, excellent performance on your season debut. It is funny, obviously doing that show myself every now and then, uh, when I am in the position of watching you do your analysis, it's quite funny slash quite frustrating how I'm obviously making notes for the pod as I watch and I'll see something on the highlights I'll pause I'll watch it again and then I'll make a note of who did what and why it's important why it's interesting maybe a a note on on a bit of background on the player Uh, I think I'm going to come up with something really really good for the pod and then the package finishes back to the studio first question to Alec and you just say everything that I was going to say on TV for everyone to hear. So my original thoughts, uh, turns out, are just copied from you. Uh, I'm sure that we will both come up with some interesting and some probably not interesting stuff over the next hour. It was a busy weekend in the EFL, so let's get our teeth into it. George, let's start in the championship. And let's start with something that it brings me great joy to start with, because it's Birmingham's 5-0 win against Luton Town. I've made a point of saying... That since we have done this podcast, since the end of the 15-16 season, Birmingham have consistently hovered above the drop zone. They have never given us a huge amount to get excited about. But we thought that might change this season under Lee Bowyer. We hoped it would change. And this win feels so significant. Because last season, Birmingham didn't score more than two in a league game in 46 games. They never even made it to three. Season before that... They did score four in one game, but they lost it 5-4 to Leeds. 2018-19, they scored four in a game once. They won that one 4-3 against QPR. 17-18, never scored more than three. 16-17, they scored four in a game once, which means it's the first time since we've been doing this pod, George, that Birmingham City scored five goals in a league game. In fact, it's their first time since November of 2015. The scorers on that day, George Gleeson, Cadiz, Toral, Donaldson, Solomon Ottavor. That feels like a Birmingham blast from the past. Uh, what an unbelievable day for Blues and their fans in the away end at Kenilworth Road. Incredible. Um, yeah, I think Lee Boyer summed it up quite well when he said this was the best performance from any side that he's ever managed after the game. Um, they went not only to a Luton side who are set to go pretty well this season, who brought in some decent players, who under Nathan Jones have been very good, but also it's a horrible ground to go to as as an away team. Um, Not many teams have gone to Luton and done that to them over the last couple of seasons, uh, even in times where they've been in poor form. It's rare that they uh, are on the receiving end of a beating like this. And Birmingham were were good value for it. I know 
the <clears throat> XG might tell a bit of a different story. I think the XG has them kind of about 2.5 apiece, but realistically, Birmingham with a better team and, and their attacking verve, the way that they were able to um, create chances both from set-piece situations and also in open play. Uh, looking at their team, um, Maxine Conlan was the only outfield player that didn't have a shot wow. uh, in their whole team. Love Ch- that. Chuck Seneca came on with, with half an hour to go and had six all in, all, <laughs> all in the penalty area, the absolute XG monster. Hound. Um, there's so much to be excited about in this side at the moment. You know, Tathis Chong is a player that we only saw in flashes at Manchester United and some pretty disappointing substitute appearances, which is no way to judge a player. And and as he's getting minutes under his belt, as he's playing more often, he looks like the attacking youngster that Birmingham have have wanted for so long and who I think they kind of thought Dan Crowley might be. But Chong looks like the real deal. And he's been nurtured into the side really well. Uh, Sunjic and Woods, a really dominant midfield performance from the two of them as well. Sunjic starting to look like, again, the player. I think the issue with Sunjic previously was that he was a pretty physical, um, attritional midfielder playing in in a team that was littered with players of that mould. Whereas making him the destroyer in a team where there's actually some attacking attacking intent uh, and some some guile and some technical ability is going to work much better as he can be that midfield destroyer. I'm really positive about about Blues. Um, They are a side who, under Lee Bowyer, are developing into something that we've, we, as you mentioned, we just haven't seen from them over the last few seasons. We're so lucky on our MTT20 squad, which is a, a community of EFL lovers uh, that we run through Leveller. And we're just so lucky with the the spread that we have, the range of, of different clubs represented on there means we get some incredible insight and info and match reports and match previews. We're really lucky to have Blues fan Ryan Deeney on there, whose reports on Birmingham are always detailed and insightful and, to be fair, completely on unbiased he's not afraid to mention when Birmingham played terribly and obviously he's not had it easy in the last few years so to read his review his breakdown of this game was just brilliant you couldn't help but be delighted for him he called it an aggressive front foot blues display uh, and noted a couple of interesting things tactically they started in a a 3-5-2 out of possession but 4-4-2 in it Uh, Jeremy Bella is putting in an incredible shift down the left flank uh, and Chong playing as a kind of right wing slash central midfield hybrid. I think that sums up how Boya should get some credit for how he's using Chong uh, in this in this nice hybrid role, as Ryan says, where he really has license to drift all over the pitch in possession. He can be fairly comfortable that Maxime Collin will do a very good job going up and down the right side. And Chong seems to have a great eye for where to be. Um, pockets of space is always the words you the word used, isn't it, um, for players who play in this sort of position? But but he works so hard out of possession as well, and the the pace for I think it was the third goal um, was just breathtaking and, and so exciting at Chong so good says Ryan that Luton fans applauded him off the pitch so huge credit for Lee Bowyer what a start he has had as Blues manager as we've noted uh, in 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 times past with Bowyer the way that he is his character and personality means that the good times are so good uh, and the bad times can be quite tough because he's, he really does wear his heart on his sleeve um, but I think Scott Hogan's quote summed it up afterwards saying I just really want to play for this manager he makes you want to run for him uh, and that's a great place to be uh, obviously it's a bit of a shame that Blues are, are owned and run by a group of people that I don't have any reason to kind of trust in and believe in to do the right things by the club and the fans 
even the manager and the coaching staff sort of long-term. And that is a concern long-term. But at the moment, we love what Lee Bowyer is doing so far. Long may it continue. They've only conceded one goal from open play so far in their four games this season. A brilliant day for Birmingham. Possibly the first time they have ever opened up the podcast. Certainly the only time they've scored five goals in the I league. I think the since. first time they've opened up the podcast with a win. Probably. <laughs> with a win, exactly. Um, well done, Birmingham City. Great, great winners of the weekend. Cardiff beat Millwall 3-1. George, that's where we'll go next. I think th- the way that this game played out would not have surprised anyone. But it was Cardiff who, who edged it. Um, superiority uh, in both boxes. And in Aidan Flint... They have the top goal scorer in the championship with four goals. Uh, no one else has reached four yet. All four of them this week, having scored two against Peterborough and two here against Cardiff. In fact, all eight, George, of Cardiff's goals this season have been headed goals, which is an incredible record and one I will be genuinely angry at when it's broken. So I'd like no one to score with their feet, please, for Cardiff. Um, obviously, four from Flint and one each from Pack Bakuna. Big key for more, and, and in this case, Sean Morrison, who scored the third goal. Uh, what do we make of Cardiff City so far? It's hard not to be um, fairly impressed with the way they've started the campaign. They're really impressed. I mean, I think they are now, in my mind at least, the team who um, are the best of the rest. You know, we spoke early on in the season about the four sides, um, the four most recently relegated sides being the cream of the crop. Obviously, in Sheffield United's case, which we'll get onto shortly, um, they have some work to do to maintain that. But it wouldn't still wouldn't be a massive surprise in my head if those top four were still the top four coming the end of the season. Fulham and West Brom certainly look a cut above. But I think Cardiff are setting down their um you know, their stall as being the best of the rest, or or possibly the the team from outside those four who can challenge for those automatic promotion spots because yeah, I mean it might not be be particularly pretty, but their set piece proficiency is just so strong and you, know, you look at Millwall, who are a side who you don't necessarily think would be a soft touch from these situations. You know, two of their back three, Ballard and Cooper, are absolute giants. Uh, George Savile as well, another decent option to have to defend set pieces. But you know, Cardiff, on three occasions, got the better of them uh, and were able to to score them. And you know, it's one thing being being tall. You know, the uh, listeners to the Thursday betting show will know that Jake Cooper is a favourite of yours, Ali, because of his height. But it's one thing being tall, it's another thing being Flint and Morrison, where you your movement in the box is obviously so good and you have the finishing ability to actually score the goals as well, which they is something like they are... hungry piranhas yeah, in the opposition box. They they know they can do it. I mean, Shea Dunkley is another one who, when he was at Oxford, you know, his height was great, but I've never seen a defender move so well in the box and, be, and so capable of losing their markers. Uh, and that is certainly something that Flint has. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they're going to be very hard to beat. You have to wonder if certain players form is sustainable. You know, Ryan Giles is a player that I really like and I you know, his delivery with his left foot is is clearly sensational. I don't think we can expect him to be picking up assists every time he plays, personally, um, because no one does that. So I, I, yeah, there's gotta be a concern that the, the sustainability of their set piece goals might run dry, but defensively they look really solid. And this is Mick McCarthy and he knows better than anybody how to get a team um, winning football matches and picking up enough points to get promoted playing a certain way so um, yeah positive for them um, they look to me now to be a far better and um, more consistent football team than they were in the second half of last season when McCarthy went on that kind of bizarre run after coming in then, then falling away a bit so and with the options you know Kiefer Moore started uh, this one, I think James Collins has made a really good start to his, to his Cardiff career and having two proper 
centre forwards who've scored goals in a championship level vying for one spot can only be a really positive thing as well. And the fact that Giles didn't even start, Mark Harris starting on the left-hand side of the three, um, again, just shows that McCarthy has some depth that probably at the beginning of the season, when we were talking about Cardiff, was one of the weaknesses we thought was their, was their depth in attacking areas. So very positive. And again, in the same way that you have to judge Birmingham's 5-0 win against Luton because of the opposition, you know, Millwall have started the season in terms of performance levels pretty high. So this is made all the more impressive for that reason too. Damn right. Second best attack in the league so far behind West Brom if you look at the underlying numbers, Cardiff. And it's not just based on the set pieces as well, although they have the second best record in terms of XG generated from set piece situations. They also have the fourth highest from open play. So it's that dual threat that's that's taken them to the next level and long may it continue. But as you say, I don't think we should assume that it will stay like this forever because as we discussed with McCarthy's style, um, it really does need really high energy play uh, and and McCarthy's best sides uh, certainly the one at Ipswich that I can think of that made the playoffs they had it all and they had the energy but once the energy left uh, and that could be for motivational or fitness reasons it can be very hard to replicate the performances and, and things can get a little bit um, stale quite quickly but what a start to the season 15 shots already in four games inside the six yard box which is the same as West Bromwich Albion the next best team in the league has had just seven so those two teams well clear at the moment moment Ryan Giles as you mentioned four assists already most in the league so far you seen Kiefer Moore being linked to Wolves Chief Kiefer yeah ah okay by, by the local you know it's not just you know Wales Online reporting it hmm. seven million pounds I mean I, I'd be fairly surprised um, I, I guess it's an option for them to have someone to vie for with Jimenez um, always a bit torn with these ones because You'd that would be the culmination the of an incredible yeah. stretch for Kiefer Moore, considering where he's come from, particularly early on in his career. And yet then we wouldn't be able to enjoy watching him treat championship centre-backs like a rag doll before finishing calmly into the corner. Uh, one to watch he was, out for. He was though. asked about it. Mick was asked about, it, asked about it after the game if he was worried about losing him. And he said, no, I don't worry about things I can't do anything about. If someone comes in with a huge sum of money, I'm sure the club would consider it. Right, okay. That doesn't fill me with confidence. Uh, transfer deadline day next Tuesday. So no doubt there'll be plenty of movement on that front in the next seven or eight days. Uh, their rivals, George Swansea City, got their first win of the season on Friday night away to Bristol City. We watched this one in at the Sky Sports studio before bringing some energy at 10.15 with our first studio-based segment uh, of the season. Uh, it, was a, it was obviously a, a good win for Swansea, but I've been finding it a bit of a head-scratcher to analyse because on both sides, uh, Russell Martin himself, clearly not that pleased with the way that Swansea implemented his game plan, uh, even saying essentially that some of their players had gone rogue, presumably uh, talking about them going long from the back rather than trying to play through the thirds. Uh, and then on the other side, Bristol City, you know, losing at home to Swans on a Friday night, not great. The, the record under Nigel Pearson, not great. The current home record, not great. And yet I, I, I felt a sense from the Bristol City fans that we talked to on social media, particularly that they're encouraged by the performance as well. So it's a bit of a head scratcher for me and I hope you have some answers. Yeah, I think calling Bristol City's home form not great is, is one of the understatements of the of the century. They haven't won at home since since January. Um, yeah, I, I do agree with you. That there's like a few thoughts I have here. I think firstly, I can see why Russell Martin was frustrated because we know that there's a certain way that he likes to play and his interviews since, since joining Swansea have been pretty telling and that he's been pretty glowing about their performances when they've 
looked to play out from the back, had 75% possession, lost games, but implemented the way that he wants to play. And then here they get they get the three points with only 54% possession. But what I would say on that is that, and what seems to be being missed by quite a lot of people here, is that Bristol City's performance itself was a massive part of that. Um, they looked to press aggressively from the first whistle to the end, basically. And even though Swansea had one or two five-minute spells of, of kind of consistent possession inside Bristol City's half, which is net, which is always going to happen, really, when you've got a team pressing with that kind of intensity as they drop off when they get tired. Um, it meant that Swansea were basically forced into looking a bit longer, which I don't think necessarily was a bad thing. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, well, I can see why Martin's frustrated, but I think that it wasn't necessarily just a case of Swansea fans disregarding what they've been taught to do. I do think there was a part that Bristol City played in that. And I completely agree with you. I think the Bristol City, that was the best Bristol City performance I think I've seen since those games at the beginning of last season mm. under, under Dean Holden. Uh, I'm still not convinced that just in personnel terms, at the very top end of the pitch, they really have a group of players that that, that fits or works for me. Martin up top, we like probably won't expect too many goals from him but that's not an issue because he brings others into play wells looks completely out of favor and never really found a role anyway with martin uh playing vyman goal threat buzzes around works hard probably doesn't excite me in terms of those two being your main goal threats and outside of that that's where the issue is for me semenyo Maybe, but still looks to have some way to go. Uh, Scott, the youngster, just turned 18, four starts already. Doesn't look like he's going to be immediately impacting, you know, the scorer's table, as they say in cricket, with goals and assists, but but that might come. Casey Palmer doesn't look hugely in favour either. And I guess, although I, I do accept that the, the performance was better, if I'm projecting longer term, I still find it hard to imagine them becoming a team that will cut loose going forward and, and become a real attacking force. Yeah, I think I probably agree. Um, and, and you look at the 11, you know, the players you just mentioned, I don't think there seems much reason why Bristol City would be any better than a bottom half side, um, given the personnel. Uh, I think that the James and King have certainly added something different in the centre of midfield, a bit of control. And they are both, I mean, not consistent, but they are both goal threats in themselves. I think those two between them will probably get 10 goals this season over the course of the campaign. Um, I thought Masengo was was very good. Um, I think he was probably, I know Matt Grimes got man of the match probably because he was playing for the winning side, but I think if Bristol City had scored and made this one all, I think Masengo would have been the rightful winner of that award. He was, you know, he's not a player that I've I've had much time for um, in the past or certainly not as much time for as, as lots of Bristol City fans. But he, we saw the, the usual hectic um, uh, style of play out of possession, you know, very, very good in terms of um, closing people down and, and very combative in the tackle as well, although he, he'll probably feel he could have done better in the run-up to, to Peru's goal. But his quality on the ball was something that I hadn't seen as much of yet, both in terms of um, in tight areas, retaining the ball, looking for the pass, and just his passing in general was very good. So I hope um, that him starting on Friday night will be the beginning of him getting a run of games, because if he continues to play like that, I think Bristol City maybe do have the player that I didn't think they had uh, before last week. And just to go back to Swansea, the winning team after all, uh, and to touch on a few individuals here, because, you know, Swans are missing Connor Roberts, Kyle Norton, Bennett, Cabango, Downs, Corey Smith and Liam Walsh here. Um, That's a lot of players who we would think would be starters or there or thereabouts. So to win with those missing 
uh, speaks a lot to the character of the team. Uh, and they defended pretty well for the most part after a wobbly start. Bender in goal, because of the way they play, is going to have moments where he looks incredibly wobbly. We probably need to see a little bit more of him to really start judging his distribution. But he has started the season really well in terms of shot stopping. Uh, and he had another good game on that front. The fact that Swansea's back three, you know, which was so good last season wasn't it and we knew the players involved and it felt like they were just an automatic clean sheet or, or conceding one at most and now the back three is Lati Baudier, Ryan Manning playing centre-back at the heart of a back three and Brandon Cooper the young defender who, who spent the first half of last season alone at Newport before heading back and uh, and kind of being on the fringes you know it's I don't want to say it's makeshift because they kept a clean sheet. Manning has done really well in that unusual role in the last two games. Cooper and Lati Baudier as well have been playing really well. So to call it makeshift would be wrong, but it certainly looks new. And therefore the clean sheet is, I think, quite um, quite impressive. Uh, and just Ethan Laird rejoining a Russell Martin side on loan, having been so fun for, for MK Dons last season uh, and taking to the championship very well. In the second half, particularly, he was excellent. Uh, and we know that he has the the skill on the ball to be a huge attacking threat in that right wing back position. And if Martin can get the style working and if they can uh, do more in terms of, of playing out his game plan, in terms of holding onto the ball and uh, and dominating possession, that's where Laird will really thrive because he can basically play like a right winger. Um, and that was all good. So let's move on to Stoke 1, Nottingham Forest 0. What a good start to the season for Stoke City, George. Three wins and a draw to start the campaign. Ten points to their name. And what a goal they scored. Great goal. You know, this is exactly what we wanted to see as the key improvement for Stoke City this season. I remember talking to the NCT20 squad during the summer, being look, looking at Stoke and thinking, I can, I can rely on them defensively possibly to even get better, which I now definitely think they will. You look at their back three of Suter, Ostergaard, Wilmot I mean that is sensational Smith has started the season really well at right wing back as well but the big question was can a team that doesn't change its manager add 15 to 20 goals that's what I thought they needed and that's a lot of goals to add over the you know in in, in the space of a pre-season I'm not sure yet that they have it in them to add that many goals but this is a great start and we would love to see more of this it is a great start and I think that a lot of Stoke fans listening when I was talking about Cardiff earlier would have been saying, excuse me, what about us as being the team who can challenge? And rightly so, because they couldn't have started the season better. You know, you mentioned the back three there of Wilmot, Suter and Ostergaard. Well, I'm going to point you in the direction of the midfield options. Francic, Allen, Klukas and Sawyers. I mean, those are four very good ball players, all with very different um, playing styles and abilities off the ball too. I mean, certainly Klukas is somebody who can do do a bit of both. And I think Rancic and Sawyers will love playing with each other. Stoke, another team who've been very proficient from set pieces in the past. And again, this season have started very well. And the goal from Timon itself was just a brilliantly worked passing team goal. So yeah, I mean, it, you've got to be really positive about what they're doing at the moment. Uh, Fletcher came off injured, um, I think. Was he injured? I mean, I, I, it looked to me like he was limping before he came off, um, although no confirmation of that that I can see. Uh, but yeah, they, they are the only thing to caveat it with is that unlike where I see Millwall, who Cardiff beat, and unlike where I see Luton, who, who Birmingham thrashed, this is a Forest side that is that is moving very quickly towards the end of a, of, of a very short-lived Hewton era. Um, you know, those who seem to suggest that 
Chris Hutton guarantees success uh, might have to to revisit the way that they think about football because it just goes to show that um, these managers who've had been successful in the past aren't necessarily catch-all answers for for a, a club who've been recruiting for a certain style who've appointed a kind of director of football who was in charge of Barnsley and and made the decisions to bring in Gerhard Struber, Valerian Ishmael. You know, you've got to think if you're a Nottingham Forest fan now, you've basically got two ways of going if you move on from Hewton. You either go hard after Chris Wilder, who is a manager whose style of football I think would be far better suited to the players that, that, that Forest have got. Um, you know, he, he might be an English manager, but he's somebody who's been fairly tactically flexible and, and managed to get teams at championship level scoring goals and playing an, an attractive brand of possession-based football. Or you ask, you say to, this, to, to the man they brought in, right, go and do it again. Go and find us the player in the same way that you go to the continent to find to find players go and find us the manager who's going to take this group of, of players and get us playing the kind of football that we want to recruit for they brought in James Garner uh, in over the weekend back on loan from Manchester United which is impressive because he was good there for the second half of last season but I don't think you know there have been some people claiming that Garner's arrival um, probably suggests that Houghton isn't on the way out I don't think that's the way this club's working at the moment uh, I don't think the manager will have too much say over the players who are coming in so um yeah, it's it's a case of I wouldn't be hugely surprised if the, when the majority of people are listening to this podcast, Hutton may have already gone. I think um, it's coming towards of of, of his reign there, and, and especially with fans back in stadiums, um, Nottingham Forest matches have been um, just defined this season by chance from Forest, the Forest faithful of telling Chris Hutton he doesn't know what he's doing, and I think the performances have declined as the season's progressed probably because of the breakdown of relationship between the management and the fans. So I think they probably have to do something fairly soon. Just 1.3 XG generated from open play in four games so far, the worst in the league comfortably. Uh, and just feels like there's a lot more to come or a lot more that could come. Um, we wait and see what happens over the next few days. Nothing confirmed yet, but all sorts of rumours swirling around in the build-up to the game and after it that, that Chris Hewton may well depart Nottingham Forest this week. George Sheffield United won Huddersfield 2. Another seriously lively one this with a, an, an, a winner deep, deep into injury time from Levi Colwell uh, after Billy Sharp, pretty much twice Levi's age, um, had equalised for Sheffield United. In fact, of the whole EFL weekend, Huddersfield Town, the biggest priced winner, the longest odds to win out of the 72 teams this weekend at 9-2 to two with Betfair. Um, that just shows how little was expected of them here and what an amazing away win that was. It's been a pretty eye-catchingly poor start to the season for Sheffield United, which is probably catching the headlines. But what did you make of this game in general? What do you think is, is kind of the, the crucial takeaway? Is it is it this is very concerning for Sheffield United or is this fair play Huddersfield? That was a hell of an away performance. It's kind of somewhere in between, I think. Um, no, definitely credit to Huddersfield for, for getting the win and showing uh, so, yeah, some amazing... Um, courage to send men forward having just conceded away at, at Bramall Lane uh, in the 92nd minute for your centre-back to pop up and score a kind of striker's goal late on um, amazing moment for him I mean I think if you if you could write your debut senior goal scoring in an away game against one of the Leeds bigger sides must be must be the way to do it but um, I'm not too concerned for Blades at the moment we've said in the past that Slavica Kanovic is Watford side, Savitsi Kanovic's um, Fulham side, they both took a long time to come to the boil. Um, I remember the season before Fulham uh, went up, I think 
I think we had them quite high in our one to twenty fours again because of Jukanovic. They ended up finishing mid table. I think a few of the fans were quite restless. The club, you know, retained the faith in him and, and were rewarded for it. And I think that might be what we're seeing here because, you know, that was their first goal of the season. Sheffield United, the the Billy Sharp goal, which I don't think is a fair reflection of the way that they've necessarily been playing. Um, they created a few chances uh, against Huddersfield here. Um, but when you're locked out, you're locked out. And it feels like they're on the receiving end at the moment of some kind of going down and some marginal gains. Uh, still kind of learning the way that they want to play. Um, they are uh, being pretty adept at, at, at keeping the ball, of keeping possession, of controlling the ball in that way. Uh, I think Norwood is probably having quite a lot of fun at the moment, despite the fact that they're, they're coming off second best because he's getting on the ball a lot. And that's a good thing. Uh, it's now just finding the right combination in terms of the, of the front players. You know, we've seen McGoldrick already play in about four different positions this season. Uh, it was Bruce Drew at Burnley playing up front this time, a bit of a little and large combo, but neither of them really in amongst the goals. I, I have no doubt that Brewster, McBurney, McGoldrick and Sharp, between the four of them, a couple will come into form at some stage. Um, it hasn't happened yet. I'm not too concerned, but certainly I think the story here is, is for Huddersfield. This is a massive win and a big vindication for Carlos Corbran, who has come under a fair bit of, not stick, but just a bit of doubt from certain EFL podcasters and other people in the game. So um, so for them to, to put on... Um, well, just to come back from from the uh, from the position they were in to get the win, I think a draw probably would have been a fair result. But all credit to them for getting the getting the three points. The most exciting thing for me when it comes to Huddersfield, aside from the emergence of Colwell uh, at the heart of the defence, is probably Sorber Thomas this season, who set up a goal on opening day against Derby with one of the most delicious set piece deliveries I've ever seen. Uh, sort of free kick from a deep wide position. Um, curled in with speed onto the head of Nabi Sarr, uh, but who looks like he has the quality, despite playing in this sort of left wing back position, which I don't think he would say is his natural position. Uh, obviously, Toffolo came on with half an hour to go and and that, that kind of helped change the, the situation. Thomas was able to switch sides and play a bit further forward. I think he can be a really nice addition to take the responsibility, the burden off Josh Caroma. And I basically will always be excited now to watch Huddersfield when I see Thomas and Karoma in the starting lineup, because I think both of those are really exciting attacking players. Um, I don't think either of us are convinced that they're going to get a ton of goals from their central strikers, Ward and Fraser Campbell. So Karoma and, and Thomas are going to have to, you know, create a lot and score a lot. Um, but a, an amazing signing, you have to say. Sorba Thomas, uh, they signed from Boreham Wood uh, at the very start of this year and already looks you know, ready to contribute in a big way in the championship, which having stepped up, what, three divisions is uh, is pretty impressive stuff. And the weekly Greg Sykes scout report, Huddersfield fans, who uh, Huddersfield fan rather, who always tweets in on a Sunday and always makes me chuckle, um, said, few real chances for both, but Town defended stoutly and then changed shape to punish blunt blades who were all squeeze and no juice. Thomas all spike with no little quality. Nichols assured, Saar on a good run. Ace to have Toffolo back. Colwell a freak. Burger meaty. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Uh, Coventry beat Reading 2-1. This is one of those where, on first glance, when you were at Craven Cottage like I am and you're not really across games as they happen, you look afterwards, you see two late goals to turn it around from a 1-0 defeat to a 2-1 home win and you wonder whether it was smash and grab. But to all intents and purposes, George, even from the Reading fans we've spoken to, it was not that. No, this was... You know, the, the scoreline might not show it as one of the most dominant wins on the weekend's docket, but I think it certainly was. Um, 
in terms of the quality golf between the two sides. Coventry were, were very, very good. Swift's penalty was completely against the run of play, but credit to Coventry for coming back in the second half and, and getting the three points that they deserved. Um, and again, they're another side who suddenly, a, a team who we thought were probably quite thin in terms of what they had in outfield options. Um, they're, looking, you know, they're looking so confident at the Alan, moment. You know, Alan and Godden, the two goal scorers, came off the bench. Uh, two players who I think will be in and out of the team quite a lot. They started with the front two this time with... Um, Guy Orkers and, and, and Waghorn playing up front with O'Hare just in behind. O'Hare was brilliant again. Harmer and Sheaf in the middle playing a, playing just a, a two in, in midfield rather than the three that we normally see them play. It's just, you know, Mark Robbins is, is tactically flexible. He's got loads of options now. Um, well, I think I think that... Um, so Darbo started right, right centre-back of the yeah. three. I don't think it really worked, partly because he's been so good going forward at right wing-back. Uh, combining with O'Hare when he drifts out there. And I think I'm right in saying I saw a great Coventry blog, Sideways Sammy, uh, as match report that around the hour mark, they made a switch. They took off to Costa, the right wing back. Darbo went to right wing back. And I think Sheaf plugged in and filled in the gap um, at the back, which I've got a bit of a thing, especially when you're playing three at the back, where when teams are behind particularly, and you know that the opposition are going to sit in, and you know that their goal is for your centre-backs to have the majority of the ball, to have the most touches and play the most passes. I quite like the option of dropping a centre-back, sorry, a central midfielder, a ball player, into the back line because, yeah, it might be a risk defensively and and, and maybe they wouldn't be as strong defensively on the break and you you might risk conceding a second goal because of that. But if you're confident you're going to dominate the ball, actually having someone of Sheaf's ability, um, the metronome, who who can punch passes forward, I think can be quite a nice option. So I was delighted to see Rob do that and it obviously paid off and, and played a big role in, in their comeback here so I, I really think I need to get Coventry's results up as I speak because I might end up looking stupid here I think they're going to absolutely smash someone soon I think the way that they are playing Coventry there could be a 3-4-5 goal game on the horizon here uh, they've got QPR away next up that'll be tough home to Borough on the 11th uh, home to Cardiff on the 15th away to Millwall on the 18th at home to Peterborough on the 24th. I'm going to give myself five games, okay? At some point in the next five games, Coventry are going to score. I'm going to go I'm going to go with four. They're going to score four or more in a game in their next five. Um, so let's keep on track of that. Uh, Fulham beat Hull 2-0. I was in the Hammersmith end at Craven Cottage with the excellent Sammy James from the excellent Fulhamish podcast. Uh, I had a great day and I didn't see the most exciting fixture of the EFL weekend because Fulham... I think it's fair to say they won this in second gear and that's not really to detract from Hull City who certainly started the brighter and had probably two or three shots, not amazing chances, but but half chances in the first sort of 10-15 minutes just to let Fulham know that that they were there, that that it, well, that it wasn't going to be easy. The problem was a little blocking routine from a corner early on. I'll let you guys watch the highlights and decide whether you think it's a foul from Tosin or not. Uh, As a basketball fan, I quite enjoy the old pick and roll from a set piece in football. Uh, Mitrovic, free header, eight yards out into the corner. Uh, And 10 minutes later, a nice, you know, Fulham attack with such numbers as we spoke about last week. And the problem is you have to be fully on it defensively. You have to concentrate so much in order to actually track and cover 
all these attacking players, not Mitrovic, but all the others around him um, who try and find little pockets. And, and in the end, Carvalho, you know, received a ball from Robinson. His first touch was either a bit heavy or absolute genius to find space. Uh, and he finished well. I, I was obviously really excited to see Fabio Carvalho in the flesh because he was sparkling uh, in midweek against Millwall because he just looks like he could be a star of the division age 18, 19, which is always going to excite me. And he's exactly my kind of player as well. As it was Fulham, uh, sorry, Hull, you know, with those three uh, central midfielders, they did a pretty good job keeping him quiet, um, but he buzzed around and all of his touches were, were, were good, classy touches. Um, you know, he scored his goal. He wasn't massively involved outside of that, but I really enjoyed it. My main takeaway was that Jean-Michel Serry is an absolute joke at this level. Um, he sat in front of the back four. He moved the ball around with ease. He looked like he was playing... You know, he looked like the rest of the game was going on around him in slow motion and that allowed him to completely dominate. Um, and yeah, you talk, you know, we talk about the attacking players that Fulham have, but actually they've barely given away a chance yet. Um, they've conceded three goals in four games and it was Boller on opening weekend against Borough, one of their only real forays into, into the Fulham half. They conceded a header from a corner in a 5-1 win against Huddersfield, um, which if you're going to concede a header from a corner is a good game to do it in. And then a complete fluke from a Fobe in midweek uh, against Millwall. So you look at the underlying numbers, it's Fulham defensively is where they're really thriving at the moment, um, which might not be what people expect. And then was it who Reem and Tete off injured? First yeah, half? yeah, Reem and Tete and possibly Carvalho as well off injured. Uh, the Reem one looked quite nasty. He was really, he could barely walk around the pitch to get off. Um, possibly a lower back injury, something like that. You know, they've got Hector who's coming back. Yeah. They brought on Mawson. They're pretty well stocked in that position. Bobby Reed at right back as well. Bobby Reed came on and played right back. They've got Cyrus Christie coming back. Yeah. And you know what? I was talking to to Sammy because Ongisa came on and he's an absolute joke as well. Yep. He just glides through the centre of the park. Body language wise, didn't think he looked that up for it. <laughs> uh, and I wonder if he might he might find a move away in the next seven or eight days. And I And I wondered, oh, you know, could that hurt Fulham? And then Sammy reminded me that they've got Harrison Reed to come back from injury as well. Yes. So uh, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Uh, and their current most likely title rivals, George West Brom, um, they beat Blackburn 2-1 here. Uh, 4.2 expected goals created. Another 500 shots inside the six-yard box. Uh, you know, it wasn't a blitz like it was in midweek against Sheffield United. But um, I mean, it, it wasn't far off. More of the same. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just... I mean, Kaminsky was the reason why it wasn't a blitz. Yeah, Phillips came in um, for Dian Garner. Robinson shifted out to the right with Phillips playing up front. Not necessarily, you know, out of those three players, Grant, Robinson and Phillips, um, the only one of them hasn't played much football up top and he's the one that Valerian Ishmael has, has, has put there and he was rewarded with a goal and assist and he hit the woodwork as well. Um, I think purely for his physicality, we still know that West Brom want to have that bully, a player who can challenge for the aerial balls up top whilst also having the pace to run in behind they are still being linked to Daryl DK no idea if that is just putting two and two together and making five or if there's genuine interest but if they did as him yeah I mean you'd be pretty um, confident this West Brom side are going to be back in the Premier League next season they are both so good at creating chances from open play and from set pieces. They're very good at stopping up the opposition from creating chances as well. Sam Johnson back in, you know, now back in goal compared to the beginning of the season is a massive positive, even if he maybe was at fault uh, on, on Saturday. So, yeah, I mean, the the decision to appoint Valerian Ishmael at West Brom is being vindicated very, very quickly. They are blitzing 
the league. You know, the, I think before this game, they'd scored two, three and four. Um, the joke was made by Jeff on, on Gillette Soccer Saturday. Maybe they're going to get five and looking at the XG, it could have <laughs> it could have happened. And what a screamer it was by Alex Moa in the first minute. Um, beautiful technique to spank. Well, was it a spank? It was More kind like of a caress, I would say. Caress. Uh, a first-time volley from the edge of the box into the top corner. Brilliant. Andy Watson, uh, Blackburn Rovers fan, brilliant, valued member of the NTT20 squad, uh, did accept that it could have been more for Baggies, um, but did say that Rovers hung, hung in there fairly well. He was still, I think he was quite pleased with how Rovers responded to the West Brom Meteor, uh, certainly compared to a certain Sheffield United performance in midweek. Um, and a big positive for Rovers was uh, Clarkson on debut, on loan from Liverpool, um, said in his in his first interview that he's grown up a massive Blackburn Rovers fan, which is always a good start, and showed some flashes of quality in this game. So we look forward to, to seeing if he can have a bigger influence in the next few weeks. And lastly, Preston won, Peterborough United nil. George, a significant result in that this is Preston North End's first win of the season. Uh, it actually takes them out of the relegation zone. So just for a few days at least, the uh, the major concerns and, and some would say maybe even meltdown that we've seen over the last few weeks just subsides but it was a a fairly low quality game uh, decided by a set piece brilliant delivery from Ledson headed home by Bauer any major takeaways from this one or do, or do we kind of wait and see how these two sides get on uh, against trickier opposition yeah I think wait and see um, as you say all evidence suggests that these are the two two of the poorest sides at the moment in the championship um, and the game was settled by by a set piece so I don't think we can read too much into this we're going to learn more about both of these teams going forward uh, the only thing I would say is that suddenly looking at Peterborough's um, starting team I don't know the, the midfield of Burroughs and Norburn worries me a little bit in terms of having championship quality and experience um, yeah that's all I'll say so uh, yeah watch these two carefully but um, yeah for Frankie McAvoy I think his job would have been up for question if they hadn't uh, picked up three points here. So at least it gives him a bit of time to hopefully continue to get Preston on the right path. Now let's move on to League One. And it's a, a pleasure and a treat for me because uh, <laughs> George Ellick, the League One, League Two expert pundit of Quest on the weekend, knows everything already. So I can mostly put my feet up and just chip in. Try to some... go through all the fixtures, just giving a line <laughs> and that can be it. Chip in with some bits and bobs. Let's start with what looked to me like the tastiest fixture on paper in League One over the weekend. The early game between Rotherham and Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday, 2-0 winners. Uh, they still haven't conceded a goal this season, George. It, it wasn't a comfortable win. It was an interesting game and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. It wasn't comfortable, no. Um, I watched this one basically for the whole game um, with the QPR game on the side and for the first 25 minutes, it just felt like a matter of time until Rotherham took the lead. Uh, they were dominant their intensity, Sheffield Wednesday just couldn't match it at all. Uh, and when the penalty came, it felt like it was time for, for the Millers to take their rightful lead against their local rivals. Uh, what a save. I mean, Kieran Sal uh, Sadly, a brilliant penalty. I mean, it's one of those where it's, it's quite a good height for the keeper, I guess, but he strikes it firm and hard. I think it's headed for the basically the side netting. And Bailey Peacock-Farrell pulls off an unbelievable save, not only to get there, but to have the... The strength to push it away from goal, I think, tipping it off the bar as he did so. Um, unbelievable save. And Peacock Farrell has had... He's another one. I talk, spoke about Masengo earlier. He's another player who I have never been convinced by at all. It felt to me like he earned his Premier League move purely by being chucked in at the deep end by Marcelo Bielsa when he first came to Leeds. Um, he did very little at Leeds to suggest to me that he is a Premier League keeper. 
Um, but his start at Sheffield Wednesday has been and, really... And then didn't play at all for Burnley. And didn't play at all, of course. <laughs> um, but he's, you know, he's young and he's, he's entitled to, to progress and to improve. And he certainly look, looks like he's done that. And then after that, Sheffield Wednesday grew into the game a bit. Um, the uh, injury to Ogbene really hamstrung Rotherham, um, which was just before the penalty. Hold on. Was it a hamstring injury? I, ooh, I don't know. I thought you were trying to be clever there. No, no, I wasn't. I mean, I, let's say it was for, for, the, for the purpose of it. Um, but they, they lost a bit of that pace out, out on the right-hand side. And Wednesday were able to come into the game. Um, there wasn't a great t- deal between the two sides uh, for the rest of it. Um, Wednesday scored two of their of their seven shots, both of which were, were well worked. Pretty simple goals. Canberra getting off the mark, which is big for them because you know, his, his track record doesn't suggest that he's going to be... Um, prolific at this level but it was a decent goal Gregory on the other hand could be a masterstroke and it was good for him to to get one too so there wasn't much between the two teams um, one of them was was dominant for a period of the game um, but couldn't make that dominance count and ended up leaving with nothing Massimo Luongo's first start of the season um, sounded like he was absolutely excellent here and I think he is a significant player in the sense that one of the the way that Sheffield Wednesday's midfield is made up, there are going to be games where you want Bannon and Lewis Wing to do what they do best because you're going to dominate possession. You're going to probably spend a lot of time in the opposition's final third and that's where they can really hurt teams. There are going to be games where their lack of physicality and basically defensive skill without the ball means that if you only have a Deniran or Luongo in the midfield, they are going to have a very tough time and potentially could get overrun. Um, so it's kind of horses for courses. And I think Luongo is that really nice middle ground where he has physicality and he is solid enough and good enough in the tackle. Um, he's not the quickest for sure. So you wouldn't want him all on his own trying to stop a counter-attack. But I think he's the one who who just basically between that four, I guess what I'm saying is you can find a really nice trio for almost any fixture at League One level. Uh, and if Luongo can stay fit, we know that his quality on the ball means that he can bring the best out of players around him. So I've been impressed by Adenaran uh, and what he can bring to the team. Luongo straight in and excellent today. A really, really positive start to the season for Wednesday. Really exciting stuff, to be quite honest with you. Um, looking forward to, to to seeing them get even better going forward. Um, and then they really could be in some shape, I tell you that. I wanted to talk about Shrewsbury nil, Plymouth Argyle 3. We haven't spoken much about either side here um here's a surprise and a delight actually exactly what we wanted to see Plymouth Argyle the best defensive record in terms of xg conceded from open play so far this season in league one exactly what we had down as not just a weakness but such a weakness that they would be constantly undermined by it as they were last season Ryan Lowe touch wood has got the defensive structure somewhat sorted and crucially the centre-backs that he wanted and needed. Um, Scar, for example, has stepped in really well. Gillespie as well um, has come in and done well. Just the one goal conceded from open play so far and two from set plays. This one was was all about the front two, Hardy and Jeffka. When they combine like this, when they are both firing, um, you're going to find it hard to have a, a, a more mobile front two that mix goal threat with being able to bring each other into play and Jeffka has certainly started the season on a real hot streak I know that the fans are obsessed with Panuche Kamara as well one of those guys who I think and there are so many across the 72 I've actually seen it mentioned about a couple of other players as well and it's great to see who just looks and feels so different in the flesh to watching at home on iFollow 
just seems to be energized by the crowd and has taken his game to another level. His energy is incredible, but he mixes it with sort of combativeness, if that's a word, and um, uh, and some quality on the ball as well. As for Shrewsbury, it's it's hard to find any positives really, other than the fact that they did at least have a fair few shots in this game. But of course, they were behind for the majority of it. They still haven't scored a goal yet this season. Yeah, I'm going to be a bit more positive th- than that um, because it's always difficult this because I don't want to be the person telling Plymouth fans that they didn't deserve to win this 3-0 but but they didn't deserve to win this 3-0 you know on the balance of play there's no way this was a 3-0 game uh, Ryan Hardy was by far and away the best player on the pitch um, in terms of both the goals he scored and the one he created for Jeff Cutt. it's massive for Jeff Cutt to be back in, in goal scoring form as well I'm delighted for Argyle and I'd love to be able to erase all evidence of me doubting Ryan Lowe at the beginning of the season but that doesn't affect the fact that Shrewsbury did not deserve to lose this game 3-0. You know, they were um, on top for large large parts of the game. You mentioned they were they were behind early, and that is is fair, but even up to the up to the first goal, um, they were the better side and looked the more likely to score as well. Um they yeah, I, I just this isn't the first time this has happened with Shrewsbury this season. They put in a, a decent performance um against Morecambe I think it was uh, a couple of weeks before um I, I think it's just a matter of time if I was the Shrewsbury hierarchy I'd be retaining some faith in in Steve Cottrell t- to turn this around because um they've had a lot of shots uh, they've had chances in most games that they've played uh and it just isn't really falling for them at the moment but this I've no doubt that this result itself uh is much much worse than it than actually played out on the grass. I'm not saying that Plymouth didn't deserve to win, but it looks like a shocking 3-0 home defeat. I, I don't think it was that. Cambridge got a 3-0 home win against Burton Albion. Their first win of the League One season and how uh, a heavily deflected strike from range put them ahead. And then two own goals in the space of a few minutes from the same Burton defender, Tom Hamer, uh, gave them their second and third. And then it was topped off with a crazy sort of goal-mouth scramble, uh, Burton on the attack and meet of producing an incredible sort of cat-like save. Uh, I, I honestly think, had I been a Cambridge United fan watching this game, I would have just spent the whole second half just laughing. It's one of those days where absolutely everything goes your way. Uh, laughing and purring, maybe. Not just because of Meetov's <laughs> cat-like reflexes, but purring at Wesley Houlihan, who Burton decided to give loads of time and space to, which I thought was a an unusual approach. Uh, and he did what we knew he would do when given time and space and, and dictated the game and, and played smart passes and, and brought his teammates into play and helped create some of those goals. Magnificent man, wonderful footballer and a great win for Cambridge. Yeah, and just to note on that, I think just like what I said about Shrewsbury, Burton were fine here. I, I'm not seeing this as, as evidence that their start to the season was um, was pure fluke. You know, they've gone down to Houlihan, of course, the class player on the pitch on the day, but they went down to a deflected long-range strike, two own goals. Uh, Mitov, Cambridge's keeper, was man of the match. You know, Burton probably maintained a pretty similar level of performance than what we saw get them three wins to start the season. And I think if they continue the way they're going, um, they are going to be one of the teams towards the top end. Why don't you tell me about Charlton nil, Wigan 2, the athletic derby, um, bit of a, a missed opportunity for the Athletic not to do some guerrilla marketing around this one. Uh, but the, the winning goals, well, the goals scored by Dariqua at the back post, playing out of position at left back. And then James McLean. Some people might have missed that he joined Wigan this week. His second spell at the club, a very, very popular signing and, and hit the ground, well, running, which is what he does very well. <laughs> yeah, this was 
a dominant win for Wigan. Uh, Charlton still struggling to to do much. Um, Charlie Kirk missed a fairly um, straightforward opportunity, but except for that, they were pretty toothless in attack and things need to change quite fast at Charlton because game on game, we're seeing a side who, um, who yeah, both in terms of, of keeping the ball out, Craig McGillivray was... Hasn't had the best start necessarily as Charlton's keeper, but he was certainly he was their man of the match. He was the man keeping them in the game here until it went until um, Derek was goal, uh, and yeah, Wigan created plenty of opportunities in, in the game. Well, not plenty of opportunities. Wigan created plenty of good goal scoring opportunities. It wasn't like they were, were battering them all match, but when they did get the ball into good areas, they were able to to fashion good chances. Um, and the game, the goal came late. Um, Wigan's start to the season has been as impressive as anyone's in League One, I'm saying right now, because their fixtures have been Sunderland away, Rotherham at home, Wickham uh, at home and Charlton away. Those are four sides who, I know Charlton's start hasn't been too good, but four sides whose fans will be in no doubt that their rightful place in this league is top six at least. And Wigan have come away from those with seven points from four. Things are about to get a lot easier for Wigan. um, And I think they might be the side who people are sleeping on at the moment as being one of the best teams in the division it wouldn't surprise me at all if we're talking about Wigan being title uh, contenders here yeah League One certainly living up to its billing so far this season it's been excellent so far and Fleetwood got their first win as well they beat Cheltenham Town 3-2 here it was a real ding-dong topsy-turvy and all those other um, very football specific uh, phrases two set-piece goals for Fleetwood against Cheltenham I think Mike Duff will have been absolutely ticking after that in fact uh, Cheltenham have conceded the most set-piece goals in the league so far which is not what we would have expected Um, but Fleetwood nicking it right at the death and Shaden Morris he's had a few mentions already even in early defeats this season Morris looked really really sharp he uh, he just stands out because of he just looks to have that spark on the ball. Um, and in the end, it was him who scored the winner. But I just wanted to flag up the young centre-back, Harrison Holgate, 21 years old. And he was the one who, you know, I looked pre-game on the betting show. I picked Cheltenham to win here. And I felt that Clark and James Hill and Harrison Holgate were going to have a really tough day at the office, particularly from those set pieces, the long throw that we know so well. But Holgate particularly, all three of them, but I think mostly Holgate, stood up really well to it. Also offered some quality on the ball in playing out from the back. So um, Harrison Holgate, 21-year-old centre-back, he's come through at Fleetwood Town. Uh, he, He sort of sums up their slight change in, in philosophy, slight change in how they want to do things uh, and really thrived here in, a, in an impressive or a big, big win for them. George, uh, we got Bolton 2-1 Oxford, Gillingham 2-1 Morecambe, Wickham 1-0 Lincoln, Crew 0 Accrington 1 and Sunderland 1 Wimbledon 0. Um, I'd like to start with Bolton 2 Oxford 1 and I want you to tell me what happened in this game and why Bolton won their second game in a row. What a start to the season for them, two wins and two draws. Yeah, can do this pretty quickly. I think this was just two very good sides playing quite well, coming up against each other and one of them getting the better of the other. Um, I think Oxford played, I keep saying this on this um, on this podcast, but Oxford played well in defeat. Um, they missed a host of chances in, the, in early in the second half to to go ahead. Um, you know, Doyle's goal that proved to be the winner was completely against the run of play. And that's, not, that's doing no disrespect to Bolton fans who watched the game, as I'm sure they would agree. And Matty Taylor's first goal definitely had a hint of offside about it as well. Um, I don't know what um, Dixon in the Bolton goal was doing uh, for it. I don't know if he just assumed the flag was going to go up, but he kind of came out with very little intensity or, or, or seemingly any mm. um, desire to, like to get to the ball. ball to me. There you go. Um, handball and offside. 
two wrongs make a right so goal should stand um yeah and then gavin white missed a, a very very um simple opportunity where it fell to his wrong foot and he uh, smashed it over the bar but yeah bolton really impressive two teams looking to play the right way um it would have been one of those where if it had been two all, I think everyone would have just shaken hands and said, well done, everybody. But instead, Bolton get the three points uh, to keep up their excellent start to the season. But no, nothing about the Oxford performance. I would say, having watched both games, there was much more, many more positives to take out of this Oxford performance than the uh, crew game. A slightly different formation employed by Kyle Robinson playing a diamond with, with Winnell and Taylor up front together. Winnell turning provider for Taylor's goal. Part... Um, forced by injuries to Ryan Williams to Billy Bowden uh, and yeah so positives for both sides definitely uh, and a really good game Dapper Affalion has been brilliant for Bolton just a pure threat um, carries the ball so well cuts inside from that left scored a good goal from range has just been constantly a thorn in the side of, of League One defences and he's one of those where he's only four games in to being a permanent Bolton player having been on loan last season in their League Two promotion. I'm already confident in saying that he is a magnificent signing, not just because I think he's a brilliant player, but also he looks like he's probably got plenty of improvement to come. He's not the youngest player. He's been He's got a little bit stuck in the last few years and hasn't played a ton of, uh, of senior football age 23. And that almost works in his favour in that I really think that he will continue to grow and thrive, develop like he has done even in the last year or so. Uh, and it's one of those, George, where I think you probably had this with Kamar Roof and maybe a couple of others where you have them on loan and they're good and you sign them permanently and you think, oh, that's I'm quite chuffed with that. You know, I think I think we've I think we might have nicked one here. I think I think that the selling club probably don't realise what we think we've got. Yeah. And then within about a month of the new season, you're like, yep, he is magnificent and will make us lots of money. Um, so there you go, Affalion. Uh, MJ Williams as well has really stepped up to League One well in midfield for Bolton. Uh, Jill's two, Morecambe one. I don't think either of us want to talk about too much because we don't like games being won on penalty decisions that we don't agree with. Uh, and it certainly means that giving loads of credit to the winning team uh, doesn't quite feel right. We weren't quite sure which of the two small pieces of contact was actually given as the penalty but we didn't think it was right um, but we should mention Mustafa Karyol must have a foot like a traction engine oh my god because that was an incredible strike from range in the first half to put them ahead uh, and also just to flag up that Daniel Adshead is, is playing for Jills now he's on loan from Norwich you guys might remember him as being the 16 year old through the Rochdale Academy that was playing for the England youth teams uh, even before Luke Matheson was the 16 year old Rochdale kid who was playing for the England youth teams uh, he got poached by Norwich um, they've looked after him for a year or two sent him out loan to Holland last season where he did well and now he's playing in the heart of this very lively Jill's midfield um, and Tom Morecambe fan on the NTT20 squad said that he was arguably Jill's best player on debut and uh, looked very, very decent technically and, and, and made some, some good interceptions, some good passes. George Wickham won, Lincoln nil or Crew nil, Accrington won. Pick your poison. I'm still reeling from Mustafa. Uh, oh, did I? Wow. I'm surprised you didn't say goal Stockton as well. Coincidence. Uh, no, that one's been done to death. Um, I will talk. Well, let's just mention Crew because I don't think we need to talk too much about the game beyond just saying that Accrington were very good and were good value for their win, uh, although Trafford had to make some saves later on to ensure they did get their win. Uh, I just feel so sorry for Crew, and, and I know that people listening to this think, well, every week you're talking about this, but 
I mean, it's it's getting worse by the by the by the by the pod, <laughs> worse by the week, where you know we've seen Kirk leave now, we've seen Huben's retirement confirmed, but two more absentees uh, from the matchday squad on Saturday. Owen Dale is now said to have um, told the club that he wants to leave. He wasn't in the squad. Big Low- interest from uh, Critchley and Blackpool. Yeah, Lowry not in the squad again. Um, Luke Offord sent off amid rumours that he is asked to leave. For Dave Artell, he's just looking at... I mean, in, in the last 365 days, their squad has been decimated. And I must say... I'm kind of impressed how well they're keeping it together. You know, they're they're even though they're not picking up any points, the actual performances themselves aren't as abject as you probably think they would be. You know, against against Oxford, they whether it was because of crew or not, it was probably Oxford's least convincing performance of the season. Again against Accrington, um, they had chances late on to to get that point. So he is keeping them in games. They're not being steamrolled, but um, but at the moment, it's it's just getting from bad to worse. They're losing so much quality, and they're going to have to have so much in terms of, of the next on the production line in order to to maintain just any chance of staying up. You know, it seems to me at the moment like they have to be the most likely team to get relegated because of the what's going on off the pitch. Uh, they're going to have to get players in. They haven't got long to do it. Um, so really concerning times for a club that in the past have just been so well run in terms of bringing players through, selling them at the right time and then reinvesting. Yeah, tough to watch from the neutrals point of view, for sure. I think the star men for Accrington here were the young goalkeeper Trafford, a teenager on loan from Manchester City, who made a huge save to keep it at 1-0. And Ross Sykes as well, the centre-back, who came through the youth system at Accrington, kind of feels established now because he's been around for a good few years. He's coming up to 100 appearances for Accrington. And yet last season, having started the season, uh, even with the armband, a few games to start last campaign as a 21-year-old, he basically missed the whole season. He only made nine appearances in total. Um, And he is back and fit and showing just why he is quite the young talent as a 22-year-old centre-back. For a start, he's absolutely huge, um, but he's not... He's not cumbersome. He, he's good on the ball as well. He's very slick. So um, someone to watch three wins in a row for Aki after that disappointing opening day defeat against Wickham, which leads me on to Wickham 1, Lincoln City nil. What an excellent, excellent start to the season for Wickham Wanderers. It turns out that if you put good deliveries into Sam Vokes, he will score them with his head. He, it turns out that when Gareth Ainsworth gets hold of the player that needs a little bit of love, they suddenly look like a new man. Vokes looking lighter, more mobile, enjoying his football. We should have seen that coming. That's what Gareth Ainsworth does. David Stockdale with an amazing save to secure this win for Wickham, starting this campaign where he left off last season. And it's worth remembering that Stockdale wasn't Wickham Wanderers' number one goalkeeper until the very end of last season. In fact, he went on an emergency loan to Stevenage just to play some games, during which time he was incredible in League Two and also picked up an injury which ended up uh, seeing Stockdale recalled and gazumping him and, and he hasn't looked back. But what a brilliant goalkeeper for the level uh, and, and just an excellent start to the season. Uh, what's interesting is that Wickham have conceded the second highest XG in open play, according to Opta. 4.6 in total, they've only conceded one. So more fuel to the fire of, of Stockdale being excellent and potentially um, sort of benefiting for some poor finishing. They, they are a team that get a lot of bodies back in between um, the shooter and the goal itself. So that might play a part as well. But for me, the manner in which they win this game against the Lincoln side that maybe aren't finding their feet yet, but are a good League One side, having led since the third minute and not being too troubled. Uh, again, 
we should have seen that coming really because that's what Gareth Ainsworth does and lastly I feel like we've spoken a lot about Sunderland uh, in the first few weeks so we won't give them too much more I think Wimbledon leave the Stadium of Light with quite a lot of credit I've seen a lot of Sunderland fans say how impressed they were particularly with Woodyard and Hartigan in midfield uh, Dons will be feeling pretty hard done by after twice in two games uh, a shot that was heading well off target is deflected in to take points from them uh, first against Jills in midweek and then uh, Sunderland here I don't quite know how the goal is still being given to Winchester I, I said that in the rehearsal at Quest and both Dean and Colin were like you can't take it off him I was like well, well I mean, it, it comes, it veers in the direction of the goal and that just sneaks in. It doesn't really matter because no goal, to me. no defender wants an own goal. But I agree with you. I don't really understand how you can Carl Winchester, your goal bonus, bonus should go to charity. <laughs> well, he's turning into something of a cult hero because he's playing out of position at right back and he's playing very, very well. Um, as is Neil, who had to play left back again. So that's a centre mid at right back, a centre mid at left back. A 17-year-old, of course, in Callum Doyle and Tom Flanagan making up the back four. And it was another good defensive display. Wimbledon really not not, not causing a huge amount of issues. And that's with Patterson, 21-year-old goalkeeper, making his league debut as well after Burge was injured in the warm-up. I just wanted to flag up Lyndon Gooch, who, if you look at Opta's total chance-creating carries, this is when you dribble the ball first and foremost carry it and then either set up a chance for a teammate or take a shot yourself he leads the league in that category of 14 um, and, and and in both ways five shots after a dribble nine key passes after a dribble and he's played every minute so far so I think we're seeing Gooch taking the leap which is nice because so, sometimes he's struggled for consistency uh, managers previously haven't always trusted him to this extent but Johnson has made him a key man and he's repaying him with with some great performances league two George we got to start with your favourite, Forest Green, who are the only team in the EFL with four wins from four. They beat Crawley 6-3. What the hell happened here? They are so good. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're just... I mean, I know that Crawley got themselves back in the game twice and they will have to be better defensively. But this game just kind of um, unravelled into a bit of a basketball game where there was only one team who, who looked like ever winning it because... Yes, they scored six. Um, they could have scored more than six. Uh, I had a, a DM from Gregor Robertson at the Times because I knew that he was at the game and I asked him how, um, what he thought of Forrest Green. He said it could have been 10. I know that is one of your pet hates, Ali, but Gregor chooses his words pretty well and wrote a very good piece uh, about the game itself, which you can check out. Um, but it, I, I said, in, you know, not to... I know this, this might upset you and I'm going to try not to do it, but there's a reason why I'm saying it. Before the season, I was very keen on having Forest Green high and I won 24s. And you reminded me not to get carried away about, about rookie managers. And one of my key points that I said to you at the time was, I just think their squad is so good. And you now, you now look at the team and because they're all for the first time in three years, all playing at a high level, suddenly you're looking at Kay Wilson and, and, and Nicky Cadden as the wingbacks as being immense Matt and Stevens I mean Stevens scored three goals last season spent half the season on loan at Stevenage and scored five and four and is looking like a different player Jamil Matt we know he's been you know last season I think he had the highest XG per 90 in the league he's very good at getting into those positions and now the attacking mantle is slightly off him a little bit because of Stevens's form as well enabling him to probably be less of a marked man Ebu Adams had his quietest game on the weekend um, and again probably will benefit so much from the fluidity of the system they're playing now where he can pop up and you know everything doesn't have to go through him their team just looks 
different level. And we haven't mentioned the defence. You know, Cargill and Sweeney, we know are very good defenders at this level. They are, I think, just a class above. And if and I don't see any reason why this team under Edwards won't be sustainable. I think he's proving himself very, very quickly to be a very astute appointment. Uh, and they're the ones to beat. Four games in, mate. And they're the, they're the ones to beat. <laughs> we... Uh... Well, they're the ones to try and draw with, first and foremost, because yeah. no one can do that yet either. We interviewed Rob Edwards on Five Live last Wednesday. Talks an exceptionally good game as well. Very, Just a very smooth talker, dresses well, looks good. His team look excellent. Couldn't have started any better for him. After this game, the clip they used on the Quest highlights, Rob Edwards said, at this moment, we're in a good moment. Damn right, Rob. Too right. Too right. Uh, Mansfield 2, Bradford 3, George. This felt like, you know, if Rotherham Sheffield Wednesday was the standout fixture in League One, Mansfield Bradford looked like the standout fixture in League Two. Didn't disappoint. Absolutely. Well, a sort of one for the ages. As much as an early season League Two game can be one for the ages, this one was. Not only for what happened on the pitch, but also uh, in front of one of those sponsorship interview screens afterwards. Yeah, it was so good. It was a great game. Uh, proper end-to-end between two sides who going into the match were first and second favourite for the title. Um, Talk about our pre-season discussions about League Two. These were our two, yeah. you know, I was Mansfield, you were Bradford and, and that was Get our sort of there. big battle. One so you've, here. you've got one over me there. Um, yeah. Um, Bradford are now the favourites to win the league at 5-1, to one, Forest Green 13-2, to two, Mansfield 15-2, to two, clear of Leighton Orient who are 12-1. to one. Those are the better fair sportsbook prices. So you can see these three teams annexing themselves at the top end of the of the market and rightly so because there was little to choose between Bradford and Mansfield. Bradford 2-1 down with not long to go uh, and Elliot Hewitt not enjoying his best his best game. You know, only signed in the summer from Grimsby, playing at right back. Charles Vernon, his old teammate, um, had him on toast for the first, well, for the second goal, which kind of came inside onto his right foot. Got and toasted again, by Vernon and roasted twice. by his manager. Yeah, and then after the game, Nigel Clough, you could see that he was seething. You could see that he was seething and you could see that he was trying not to say anything he was going to regret. And then he basically said that um, he assumed that Elliot Hewitt and Charles Vernon were good mates at Grimsby because he didn't tackle him all game in a very Brian Cluffy way, uh, reminiscent of his dad. I really hope that Hewitt takes it the right way because it's probably not the best thing to hear your manager saying four games into your career as at the club, basically saying that he regretted playing you and pinning the defeat on your shoulders. It was quite amusing for us watching. Um, but yeah, and delighted for Andy Cook as well, who started the season really well. He's quickly becoming one of my favourite strikers in League 2 because not only is he a very good goal scorer but he holds the ball up well he's a, he's a clever footballer and somebody who I think has been yeah I think if you think of the teams he's been at recently Mansfield being one of them I don't think he's necessarily been given a fair chance and he's proving now that he is a very good player at this level If you're a wide attacking player a winger or a wide forward you want to play for Derek Adams that's just a fact now we saw it with uh with the group that he had at Morecambe last season, how much he got out of them. Uh, and now we're seeing it with Bradford. I love their wide options. Vernon, brilliant. Gilead has had a good start, even if he hasn't been racking up the goals or assists just yet. Crankshaw off the bench is a nice option with great energy. Uh, and, and we haven't even seen Abu Issa yet, who I, I, sus- I suspect is injured. Um, Adams just gets the best out of these types of players. Uh, and he gets the best out of a striker like Cook as well. So really good start. Amazing. You know, as... I suspect a two-all draw would have been the fair result there. Uh, so even more delight, I guess, if you're a Bradford fan, to have nicked all three points there. George Exeter were 4-0 up against Bristol Rovers within half an hour, I think. That must have been, at Quest, the real sort of 
eyebrow razor uh, to start the day in the 3 p.m. Big shame for me that all four goals were in front of the away end. So you couldn't see extra fans as they would otherwise have been at the other end, completely losing their marbles. You know, it's been a slow start for them this season to come up against a, a, a fairly, can we call them local rivals? Probably. I went to uni in Bristol and Exeter is not far away at all on the train. There are a lot of Bristol Rovers fans there. To go four up after half an hour is uh, is quite something. Um, but you did get to see the Bristol Rovers fans behind the goal. <laughs> yes, uh, every was, which was Which was quite amusing for the neutral. Um, yeah, Exeter just completely tore them apart, really. Um, I, there's not much kind of analysis I can do on the game itself, apart from just saying for that first 25 minutes, it was just all Exeter. They attacked uh, with numbers. Matt Jay was his usual self. Um, the, the marking for the DN goal was, was shocking. It was a brilliant goal from Kite, the, the 19-year-old midfielder, the latest to come through the Exeter Academy that's, of course, done so so much in recent years. Um, and then in the second half, Bristol Rovers, as you'd expect, came back at them, but never really looked like getting themselves back into the game at all. So um, pretty galling, I think, for Joey Barton and, and Bristol Rovers, who are making a bit of a mess of this return to League Two. What the hell is going on with Bristol Rovers? Is, it, is this a Sheffield United situation where... Actually, our job or the way we like to do things is not to overreact to early season form, particularly as we, like Sheffield United, thought things might start slowly because we didn't feel like everything was in place for a a quick start. But you can't argue with the fact that it has been a desperately disappointing start for a, a, particularly for a Rovers fan base who were expecting slash hoping for a bit more joy this year. Yeah, I I don't know where the answer comes from now. Um, That you thought maybe the minute the win in midweek would be the catalyst to the start of their season um, but it hasn't been you know them being 4-0 down on the Saturday puts pay to that completely um, where do they go from here you know it's not like they haven't thrown money at getting a pretty reputable well a big name as manager rather than a reputable manager um, who's taken a side to the League One playoffs before uh, it's not like they didn't support him in the transfer market this summer in terms of bringing in proven players or supposedly proven players at this level Um it's it's been a pretty chronic uh, demise at that club ever since Daryl Clark left. Really, you have to say. Um, I know they had that kind of bizarre run under Graham Coughlin, um, but everything suggested that was fairly lucky, and and there doesn't really seem to be a way out at the moment. I I don't think this is going to be a an example of another League One side who get relegated to League Two and immediately are, are trying to survive from going down to non-League. I think they have too much about them for that, and just in, in terms of resource. Um, but it's yeah, it's pretty, pretty bleak stuff. Well, you asked where they go from here. Um, they hired Kevin Bond to come in as Joey Barton's assistant manager, and it looks like Leon Clark, 36-year-old striker, might be joining the club as well. So there's your answer there. Uh, Rochdale had a brilliant day. On it's an and- answer, but is it a solution? Not for me to say, Clive. Rochdale got the season up and running. Um, probably felt hard done by that they hadn't picked up a win yet with some fairly enterprising attacking play so far under Robbie Stockdale without much reward. Um, But they went to Northampton and they left 3-1 winners. It was a good start to the day already because there's been this power struggle, as we've described it, uh, off the field. A hostile takeover has been attempted. Um, A very unpopular hostile takeover bid uh, which the fans have been trying to resist and many people um, within the club trying to resist as well. And on Saturday morning, the EFL released a statement saying that it is alleged that Morton House MGT acquired control of the club and a number of individuals became relevant persons without the prior consent of the EFL in accordance with the owners and directors test. 
Having considered the request for information made of them, Morton House MGT, on behalf of its directors and representatives, has now informed the League that it is formally withdrawing from the approval process and plans to divest the shares acquired in the club at the earliest opportunity. Furthermore, Morton House MGT, its directors and representatives, have confirmed to the League they are refusing to cooperate with the League's ongoing investigations. Despite these developments, the EFL will be continuing with its disciplinary investigations into this matter and will take the most appropriate action available to it under its regulations. Um, the Rochdale fans who opposed this takeover will be feeling more than justified, I think, having read that statement uh, and hopefully positive uh, about the future, more positive than they would otherwise have been. Uh, and often running on the pitch as well. Really good, really good win, really good performance and a good win against uh, a Northampton side that had started strongly. So well done to Dale. Salford nil, Swindon won. Jack Payne's having a lovely time, isn't he? Playing for Swindon. And it, it's particularly significant, I think, because Payne was there last season and all that went on. He could have left in the summer. He could have had his contract terminated, we believe. Almost everyone else did, as we know, the likes of Brett Pittman and others. But Payne told the local press at the start of the season simply that he was fed up of moving clubs all the time and he wants to settle down somewhere. And lucky for Swindon that that's how he feels because he's a ridiculous player for this level. His dribbling and chance creation stats are already top draw. He, he if I may say so, has taken on the Houlihan mantle of being the small technical left footer who's too good for the level. Um, and he scored the winning goal here. I think, personally, that Simpson, the striker, was offside when he received a pass in the build-up to the goal, which he then put on a plate for Payne. Um, so a touch of fortune there. And Salford's finishing as well was was off the mark again. Uh, pressure on Gary Boyer looks to be building. A very out-of-character piece of aggression from him uh, towards <laughs> lovely Johnny Esther. And then very mild-mannered Ben Garner as well. So that was a bit of a strange one. But uh, from a Swindon point of view, who cares? Because their start to the season continues. And George, you, um, you saw it coming. I, I, I now basically have flashbacks to the day that we went to Bournemouth, West Brom, the first day of the season, um, 24 hours before the rest of the league got cracking. And you basically going, oh, mate, I can't believe it. I think Swindon are going to be really good. We had them in 22nd. I think they're going to be really good. <laughs> so I wish we'd had, I wish we'd been able to do our 1-24s a bit later. Thankfully, I went on record on the Monday and said so. So hopefully um, that gets us somewhere. But yeah, a really impressive um, start to the season for them and for Salford. Just where, where, again, where where do they go from here? What do they do now? You know, they sacked two managers last season for having much be much better performances than um, than what we're seeing from Gary Bowyer at the moment. This is a side who are not scoring goals, who are not keeping clean sheets, who are not picking up points. Um, there just needs to be some joined up thinking at Salford in terms of what they're going to do because it's pretty scattergun at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say much more. Hartlepool 2, Walsall 0. Great start to the season from Hartlepool. Certainly not as impacted by uh, the squad churn and, and key departures over the summer uh, as we thought they might be. And full credit to Dave Challender for that. Um, good to watch as well. They seem to attack with, with great verve and energy. Uh, we've mentioned Jamie Sterry's delivery from right back. But uh, on this occasion, George, it was Tyler Bury on loan from Millwall. Scored the first goal. And this is what I referred to at the very top of the pod. When I watched the highlights back, I've paused it. I've watched it again. I've thought, yeah, that's too that's too good for this level. You don't see that very often. Um, I was really chuffed with myself. Couldn't wait to talk about him on the pod. And then you went and said the exact same thing on Quest. Um, now, I don't know how quick Walsall centre-back Ash Taylor is off the mark. And, and on this evidence, 
Not very, is the answer. But Bury was past him at about three strides and then fired it straight into the top corner. A finish reminiscent of Adam Armstrong for Southampton on his debut against Everton. And my favourite moment in this game was Hartlepool's Will Goodwin clearing his own teammate's shot off the line as it was heading in. Um, probably not the most popular in the dressing room afterwards. But yeah, what do you think about Hartlepool at the moment? Because I've been very encouraged and impressed with their early season work. Really impressed. Yeah, really impressed. Um, they've only played three games. They've won two of them. The defeat was a, a ding-dong game away at Barrow where they scored two goals. Um, I think Dave Challoner is is the story here. I mean, you mentioned Bury there. He does look too good. He's versatile as well. He's been playing up front for Hartlepool but can play wide. Uh, as well um, you know he's a player who was signed by Millwall in the championship and played 13 times off the bench last season so I think it was quite a sneaky good signing at the time um, that's now paying dividends but they yeah I, I'd, I'd be very surprised if Hartlepool or Sutton are, are going to be the first team to get relegated having been, been promoted um, Hartlepool have started the better in terms of points but both of them look more than capable of, of, of holding their own at this level and possibly better as well. Harrogate beat Barrow 2-1 and Harrogate, having suffered from COVID, uh, have only played two league games now and they've won both of them uh, against Rochdale and against Barrow. So 100% record uh, for Harrogate Town. This game, by almost any measure, was a 1-1 game. Um, a completely even and fair 1-1 draw game. But Patterson hit this deflected loopy shot which Farman completely misjudged and let in. Um, in order to get Harrogate level and then Patterson went up and, and scored the winner later on. So I haven't got a huge amount of takeaways from this one other than Barrow left-back Bruff has produced some of the most delicious left-wing crosses that I've seen this season. Uh, one to keep an eye on. If Sterry's delivery for Hartlepool from the right of defence has caught my eye, then Bruff for Barrow left-back has certainly caught my eye uh, elsewhere. Tramier nil, Newport one, a very popular goal scorer here, George Alex the Fish Fisher. Uh, Tramway hadn't conceded a goal before his opener here. Yeah, he, he was unlucky previously. He hit the woodwork in the first half and then just before he scored, he hit the crossbar again. Um, but he's, yeah, I'm delighted for him. Um, I, I, I think after leaving Exeter, um, he's done very well to, to get in at Newport. He's been training there a lot in the summer. Um, I think Michael Flynn's obviously seen a player who I think he's actually performed better than people give him credit for when he had, when he did play for Exeter. Certainly his, his record there in terms of winning games when he played was very good. Um, so delighted for him. I think he is somebody who will thrive if given minutes, basically. You know, he's somebody who was, you know, that goal summed him up. He's persistent, he's physical uh, with an eye for goal as well. So um, yeah, interesting. Interesting to see that Newport County, I remember sitting here about this stage of last season saying, wow, Newport County, total football. And that hasn't been the case really this season. They're still, you know, they're, they're not necessarily a possession-based side the way it's going at the moment. So I'm not sure if Flynn's decided that that experiment's over or if it's just horses for courses at the moment. But, um, but yeah, big win for them. Tramere have played four games, have scored one goal, have conceded one goal. Not the most inspiring start. Um, but they have got five points from four games, which is a perfectly good return. And from a new point point of view, I think they could be a standout defensive team again. It's nothing new, but even with a different shape, you know, they played four at the back rather than five. Their underlying numbers defensively are excellent. They've given away next to nothing so far across three games. Um, as always with Flynn, it's it's the whole defensive shape. Uh, but we should mention Priestley Farquharson, one of the best names in the EFL, one of the best stories in the EFL, considering where he's come from uh, and settling in very nicely indeed to the heart of the Newport back four alongside James Clark. Last but not least, George Oldham won Colchester two. I mean, Cole, you were 2-0 up 
here pretty early on without really needing to do much. A, a ridiculous piece of defending from Keylor Dunn to give away a penalty. A nice sort of daisy cutter from range from Chivers, uh, Chilvers rather. And, and then despite Bahambula's best efforts in the second half, Colu sort of fair coasting, you'd say, to an away win, which they will be delighted with. The Oldham fans, not delighted. Um, and those protests that we saw on the pitch at full time, my over overwhelming emotion was... I don't think I think this is just the start. I don't think this is going to be a one-off. I have a feeling that things might get quite nasty there, which um, is is concerning. I must admit. That's it from the episode today. Uh, the NTT Twenty Monday Pod is done. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed breaking down what was a, a brilliant weekend of EFL football. It's been a great start to the season. We hope you've enjoyed our coverage of it. Make sure you follow us at NTT Twenty Pod on Twitter. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast feed. And if you want to go one better, you can join the NTT20 squad, which is an EFL community that we are building through Leveller. Uh, we run it through Telegram. It's essentially uh, a few different chat threads, one general and then one for each EFL division and a specific betting channel as well to talk about trying to find EFL value in the, in the betting markets. If you'd be interested in joining this, the link is in the description. You can find out a little bit more about what it is and you can sign up to a two-week free trial. Now, it is a monthly subscription of $4.99 after that, but hopefully the two-week free trial means you can get a good look. You can check it out. You can see all the value being given by those on the squad and some of the extra stuff that George and I are popping on there as well every single day. So join us on the NTT20 squad. It would be great to see you there. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. A massive thank you to our sponsors, Betfair, for their continued support of Not The Top 20. And we'll speak again in the second half of the week with The Betting Show.